Welcome to the Speaking Light into Abortion podcast, where I talk about all the reasons it's possible for you to thrive after your abortion. I'm your host, Amanda Kingsley, and two years after my own abortion, I certified as a life coach so I could serve women after abortion in all the ways they've been deserving and lacking for centuries. Consider this your launchpad for finding strength and community in yourselves and in each other. When I met Sean and invited her to be a part of the podcast, I knew that what we had to talk about was big like colossal kind of big. So gigantic that you really can't even see where it ends and where it begins. And as I sat down to compose a blog post for this podcast, it felt like sitting down, it felt so different than other um, podcasts I've prepared for. For me, it felt like sitting down to write my abortion memoir like literally I was like this is impossible it's gigantic there's no way we can have this conversation in one podcast um because you can't just have a discussion about shame and abortion and call it a day shame is blanketing the abortion conversation it's everywhere it's suffocating women it's inspiring activists to find their voices and it's even fueling the pro-life movement. So how does one start a conversation about shame when it's intricately woven and webbed into every facet of her being? Processing shame in one flavor or another is one of the most common conversations I have with my clients regarding their abortions. It's also one of the hardest things for me to process about my own. That's because when I look really closely, I can see that shame isn't just something we experience. It's a part of who we are. In many ways, it's raised us, shaped us, and sculpted us into who we are today. In one way or another, shame has popped its vibration into all of our lives. Health, body type, parenting, relationships, career, shame is everywhere. It's whispering and it's yelling things like, do better, be more, speak less, think smarter, try harder. It's around every corner. Most of the women I meet experience some kind of shame around their abortion. I should have known better, done better, been better. I shouldn't feel so bad, so good, so indifferent. Next time, I'll be more careful, choose smarter, take less risks. It's all my fault, his fault, their fault. The way I see it, healing our shame regarding our abortions is an opportunity to heal shame in all parts of our life. How you do one thing is how you do everything. Like anything that challenges us to step further into who we really are, Abortion is simply an invitation for us to grow. It's a place that we can get to know our own shame. Through curiosity and commitment, we can stand up stronger and taller than we ever have before. I help my clients hear the voices in their own heads. Then I invite them to really feel and get to know their own shame. When they do, they realize it's not as dark and scary as they thought that it was. Listening, noticing, 
And acknowledging our shame is the first step to releasing its power over us. The natural consequence of taking these first steps is that we start to see and understand what else might be possible. Shining light on our darkness allows us to see other things that were once hiding on the sidelines. This invites us to give our attention to new places, tell new stories, and practice believing new things. To live different lives than the ones we are currently living, we have to try new things, things we've never tried before. The stories that bring most of us shame are nestled into all parts of our social, political, and religious cultures. So trying new things can feel scary, but it's how we free ourselves from the grip of shame. The steps are simple, but they're not easy. Most of us have never been taught how to say no to shame. So welcome, welcome, Sean. Let's talk about shame. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, that was so beautifully written. Really, oh, really. Just spot you. on. Oh, yes. thank you. So um, yes, today I have Dr. Sean Horn on with us. And mm -hmm. I will make lots of links and connections. Um, the first thing I'm going to let you do is just introduce yourself and then mm -hmm you know, give your perspective on why the two of us are having this conversation about shame. Like, what does it mean to you and what is your work here? Because it's big. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Dr. Sean Horn. I am a licensed clinical psychologist. I have a private practice in Spokane, Washington, and have been in the mental health field for 28 years in my practice since 2003. I serve as faculty at the University of Washington Medical School, mm. columnist at Twa Magazine, shout out to Twa, <laughs> <laughs> and have my own podcast, Inspired Living, and, um, and I'm writing on shame. I currently have a free ebook on shame-free parenting that's available on my website. Mm. Hello. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I actually I, didn't know that and will be downloading immediately after this podcast. <laughs> Yes, I, I was fortunate enough to be introduced to shame in the mid-90s during my mm -hmm. doctoral program and wrote my dissertation on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's so, so important to address because I truly believe it is at the core of our emotional and behavioral struggles. Yeah. And it is one of the most oppressive um, dynamics that, that defines our identity that we need to clean up so we can be free to be the person we were designed to be and not live in the oppression that shame has blanketed us with. Yeah. When I started thinking about having this conversation with you and even like, like literally I sat down to write and I was like, this is so huge. Like, uh -huh. do I pick a little piece of it? Do I like, where do I even go? But it really just, it had me like questioning my own beliefs about shame and when does it serve us and when does it not serve us and when do mm -hmm. we let it like teach us and guide us and when do we say absolutely not or do we always say absolutely not or like mm -hmm. I just started having all these questions. They are such um, good questions. Yes. So I'm curious like when someone says to you, well, what is shame? How do you define it? Like what's your answer? This is, the definition of it is so confusing for people. So that's the first thing we want to do is really define what shame is. And uh, we distinct, make a distinction between healthy shame and toxic shame or unhealthy shame. 
So the philosophy is that all emotions are, we are made and designed to experience all emotions and they have a function and a purpose. Right. And so that is that they inform us. They, they're messengers. They come to give us information about something we need to attend to, but perhaps their delivery of the message isn't so effective. <laughs> so it's like there, there's a request behind a protest. So emotions are protesting. Um, this is going to be really, really bad, which means please let's have a safety plan. Uh, I don't like how these people are treating me. We need to teach them how to have better boundaries. You know, it's hard to get to that request. So shame is the same in that healthy shame is an experience where we feel a very striking conviction. We feel inside of us this immediate, like immediate message of, Oh shoot, I shouldn't have done that. Um, something's not right about this. Uh, I need to back up, think, choose different, correct my behavior, something of the sorts. And then we take that information, which is focused on the behavior, the circumstance, and then we take the proper action to address it. So perhaps we say, what nuggets of wisdom can I gain from this experience to yeah. inform my future and make my life wiser? Or what do I need to apologize to someone? Do I need to make amends? What, what do I need to do here? And, and so in that way, it's very purposeful and it's very helpful. But toxic shame is the message that you didn't just make a mistake. You didn't just do something wrong. Right. You are wrong. You are flawed. You are defective. Yes. Yes. And it becomes a statement of your identity. Mm -hmm. And so we take it on as this is me. I'm different than other people. I'm flawed. And if other people knew this about me, I would be rejected. I wouldn't be lovable. I wouldn't be worthy. I would be um, have some negative outcome. And in some circles, that may be the case because a lot of us are in shame-bound communities and shame-bound family systems that give us the message, that all the messages you stated in your blog about, I'm not good enough, I shoulda, woulda, coulda, have to, I'm not meeting an expectation. Um, and so there's not grace, there's not mentoring, there's not coaching, there's not equipping people with skills. Like even when I shared about how emotions are messengers, that's a skill that we teach in therapy about emotion regulation is how to yeah. understand the purpose of emotions. But if you didn't ever teach, no one taught you that and they just taught you, don't be mad, be happy. Then we stuff it down and emotions do not like to not be attended to. So they'll turn up their volume. So sadness comes depression, anxiety becomes panic disorder. And we're fighting it and fighting it and saying, no, go away. I don't want to feel you. And they're saying, you need to hear this because this is important for your life. And then it becomes very problematic. So people think the emotion's a problem, but it is our, our oppressing or denying them and shoving them down that's the problem. Right. And what we're doing with it, that's the problem. So when you said that we need to shine light on our darkness and walk through what we think is so scary. This really is um, the magic of healing because then it says, oh, good, you finally heard me. But we do need a safe community to walk through that with us and people who will truly um, be shame-free in the way that they support us. That doesn't mean they have to agree with us or that they have to... Um, 
not hold us accountable or something, it, it's a, it, support doesn't mean indulgence. Support means you're giving uh, space to process. You are accepted for who you are. The person understands we're all human. Mm-hmm. We all struggle. And they want what is in your best interest. And so it's hard to discern that who those people are. I think that's a skill set in itself, how to identify safe people. That's so true. And this just came up for me actually yesterday. I was in a group um, where a woman was talking about her abortion experience that was actually, it was more than 10 years ago, which is so common, so common. I find people really processing and struggling around their abortion like 30, 40 years later. Mm -hmm. Don't look at that. So anyway, what I had said to her was like, you know, the place you're at is a really good place to look for help, right? To, to, ha- to find someone to do this work with you, a therapist, a life coach, like a group. Um, and what she said, which I hear a lot, I hear over and over again, it just like, it literally creates a feeling in my body of like, ugh. <laughs> but she said, like, I don't know who to trust. Yeah. I don't know who, I, I don't know who's safe. Yes. And unfortunately, I think that's especially common with abortion mm-hmm. and especially common. Um, there's a lot of centers out there that, that seem safe, right? They seem mm-hmm. like a, a judgment-free space to talk about what you've experienced and they're not. Yes. Um, and I think there's a lot of therapists who are not prepared to have this conversation because they do have their own personal and strong opinions about abortion Mm. and that's just like I see that over and over again and it really did even this was just last night that I saw this and um and it was like it it, it fueled me to be like I just gotta get out there and show women that there are there are safe places to talk about this and like it makes want to put together like a directory of like (laughs) abortion safe therapists or something Yes. But people are, yeah. So much. Like people have so much shame. They don't even want to go to a, a safe person for help because they yeah. don't, they don't know if like what, what it's going to turn into. Yes. And I find a lot of times clients, it's them hearing themselves say something that they're wanting to avoid. They don't want to see it. They don't yeah, want to feel true. it. And so they, they project it onto the the helper, that they're the ones that are going to judge them, but it's really, they're walking through their own personal Mm self-judgment and what messages they received about whatever they're struggling with. It's, this is finding someone to walk through the healing process with you is, is challenging because worldviews are like sand in a picnic. They get into everything. And, (laughs) (laughs) and even, even providers, this is why it's so important that you seek a provider who is qualified that has been trained and they, they know in my training, we had to learn techniques to put our values aside, our, absolutely our, whatever we guide our life with and not, not put that on the client. Our journey isn't to uh, apostolize. Is that the word apostolize or evangelize like clients with whatever you believe, right? Uh, whether, it could be all, all beliefs where people think this is the right way and you need to believe the way I do. And so if they're advising you or giving you counsel and directing you towards what they think is best, then you're getting into their worldview. 
A safe community is really a provider who practices non-judgment and understands. Now, see, this is a skill. I love it. It's my favorite skill about non-judgment. I teach my clients that we don't want to judge, which is seeing things as good, bad, right, wrong, worthy, unworthy. Instead, we want to describe. Describe mm-hmm. what is working, mm-hmm. what is positive or negative. Describe what has positive outcomes or negative outcomes. And then you can work with what you have instead of judging it. So you can describe your preferences. You can describe what you feel good about, what you struggle about, and not judge it. Mm-hmm. So let's pick some hot topics like body weight that some people have where they go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm fat. I hate it. I want to get rid of this. But if they describe it, they can say my body has excess weight on it and I would like to get, um, I would like to heal this so that I don't have health consequences. They can say, oh, that girl, she's such a blankety blank. I can't stand her. Describing is when I'm with her, I don't feel good. I have a lot of negative feelings and I just really prefer not to socialize with that person. Yeah, such different energy. Yes. And and so that's kind of the difference between... um, the healthy and the unhealthy shame. I think the Gottmans who do couples work, they have described a model where they say there's a difference in complaining and criticizing. So complaining is where you say, oh, the bathroom is dirty. You didn't clean it. You said you would. Will you please get this done? I'm really frustrated. Criticism is the bathroom's dirty. You said you'd clean it. Oh, I'm so sick of this. You're such a pig. No one ever taught you how to clean, did they? You're disgusting. So that makes it a personal. So that's another way you could identify healthy versus unhealthy shame that you're, you're complaining, you're, you're describing, you're identifying what's working, what's not. The toxic one is where you make it personal. Yeah. And that's what we need providers who practice non-judgment and can really look at what about this is the person wrestling with and where is that coming from? And, and then what, what needs to happen to help that person heal and learn and gain whatever they need to get from whatever experience they're in to make their life more masterful and healthier. And then they can have more purpose and meaning in their life. Yeah. And then like in the, my world, it's like, let's separate the facts from the stories. Like that's the description versus the judgment, right? Because the judgment are Mm -hmm. the stories. Mm -hmm. The description is like, what are the facts here? I had an abortion. I chose to terminate at 13 weeks Mm -hmm. versus like, I had an abortion when the baby was already forming, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. wait a second. Like, let's get some like clear facts that everyone would agree with on and then ask ourselves like, what am I making this mean? Because that's the part that really matters. That's the part that's, feeling dark. It's like, what am I making yeah. mean? Not the fact that it happened. Right. And like, I wrote down when you were talking like a while back, you, um, somehow we were talking about that darkness, right? Like to see the darkness and there's such a, there's such a value, I think in having a safe space, being with someone who can hold a safe space for you to go in and look and, and really validate it is kind of dark in here. Like I have created this darkness with my thoughts and with my belief of certain stories. And, and to just like, there's, I find there's so much relief in just having a space where you can see and validate your own darkness 
And then having someone hold that space and just say like, do you want to stay here for a little while? Are you ready to shine some light? Here are some ways you can choose to do that. Um, but like, it's really just about seeing what you've been avoiding seeing. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. alone, I feel like can lift so much of the weight of shame. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people want to comfort others when they're having a shame experience, like to say, it's okay, you're, you're fine. Um, but the person, if that's not their truth, it's not going to land. I mean, yeah. if I tell, if I say you're worthy, you're lovable, which you'll hear me say all the time on my platform. And, but if that is not congruent with someone's core belief about who they are, they will not accept that. So we do have to acknowledge that they are not okay with whatever it is, that they don't forgive it, that they are struggling with that. And they are the ones that have to work through that. No one on the outside can, yeah. can resolve that for them or make them feel good about that. And maybe that's not what needs to happen. So as I'm going to tell you my worldview, I always call myself out when I share my worldviews because you got to <laughs> see it coming, right? I truly believe that to live masterfully, we need to be in flow with our inner truth, with what our intuition is speaking and telling us, what our inner mm -hmm. wisdom is saying to us, how it's guiding us. And we cannot tune into that as we're listening to the noise of other people's opinions, oh, what yeah. other people think you should do or not do. When I was thinking about um, our talk today, I was thinking about there's so many uh, morals and opinions about this topic, right? So how do, we, how do we address this without getting into an opinion of whether someone's pro-life or pro-choice or whether they, people should feel good about it or not feel good about it? What is the wisdom in this situation? And so applying shame to it, what shame would say is that if we are feeling a conviction then, then there's something inside of us that is speaking to us. And it's saying, I don't know what it's saying. It could be saying like, I don't want to do this, or I'm sad about this, or <laughs> I, um, I didn't know what I wish I knew when I made that decision, or um, it's something along those lines, or I have peace about this. And I, like when you said, um, some people think, how should I feel? Should I, you know, why don't I care? Why do I care? Why is that? It's so right. hard for me. Yeah. Why? I mean, I know so many women who have shame about feeling good. Yes. They're like, I'm so relieved. I'm so glad I made that choice and I shouldn't feel that way. Like, right. it's crazy. <laughs> yes. And, and when I heard you say that, I thought, well, who said that? Who said what you should or shouldn't feel? And that's an example of like, if we're looking outside of us saying, how should I feel? What should I be? We're not listening to, what to we our, <laughs> yes. And as you know, abortion is a very complicated process of how someone goes about selecting it, choosing it, all the variables that go in. And, and so there may be some people might have a rationale that they really feel at peace with or they didn't have a rationale and they were impulsive, you know, it doesn't, it could be so many different things. So if you are letting healthy shame serve you, if someone is having a healthy shame response to any choice, 
we want to say, okay, Shane, what do you want me to know? Mm. What do you want me to learn from this experience? What do I need to do about this? It's action oriented. So it's saying in the future, this is the choice that is well and best with our soul. Or um, we need to acknowledge, you know, something, something that will be forward acting. If it's just that you're bad, there's no function in that. Yeah. that you're, you're now unworthy or there's no function in that. Seek wisdom and, and pursue how this can make your future better. If it's the toxic shame message, like I'm, I'm feeling bad about this abortion because my community has um, <clears throat> said this to me about who I am now that I've done that, this is not productive. There's no function in that. What's the function in that? You can't learn or get better. So we want, we want to be enhanced with positive teaching that will improve our performance in life. If, if it was a coach and the coach is berating the players, you're not going to have a good outcome. You need a coach that's going to say, here's what's working. Here's what's not working. Here's what we need to do different in the future. And, and then we have a better game. Yeah. I love, and you brought this up a couple of times and I took a note Um, I think a lot of us forget that positive, sometimes positive statements are as damaging as the negative ones, right? Like judgment is judgment. It doesn't matter if you're saying like, no, you made such a good choice or that was a terrible choice. Like either Mm -hmm. way, it's judgment, right? Mm -hmm. And so for someone who feels like, you know, maybe I made the wrong choice or I made the right choice, but I don't feel that way. And somebody's saying like, you did what was best for you. Mm-hmm. If they don't feel that truth that now they've added another layer of shame. Yes. Like, and that came up for me and I didn't end up digging into it when I was writing, but I was like, we add so many layers to the shame, right? Like yeah. I already felt bad and now you're telling me what I did was okay but I don't really feel that way. And so now I have this added layer of shame, not only about what happened in the first place, but how your opinion differs than my opinion. <laughs> yes. It gets so messy so quick, which is why what you talked about, like describing versus, versus judging or how I talk about like facts versus stories mm-hmm. or thoughts, um, that like cleans it up and gets some of those layers out of mm-hmm. the way. And I think that's so important, but yeah. I just want to make sure we addressed that because I think a lot of people think like, oh, if I'm super supportive of someone who's had an abortion or I um, say really nice things, it's like the best way we can serve people in all mm-hmm. conversations is to mm-hmm. just be present to their experience of it versus yeah. like inserting our positive or negative opinion. I think that just really reflects people's intolerance with negative emotions and to live masterfully. We really need to tolerate negative emotions. Like it's okay. If someone is sad and grieving or um, it's, we don't want to judge that emotion. That's really one of the principles of non-judgment. We want to recognize that feelings aren't facts, but it is, but it is a fact that you're feeling. And so we want to acknowledge mm. that. Yeah. 
define our reality that if I feel like I can't, then I can't. If I feel like I'm lovable, then I'm unlovable. If I feel, no, this is a lie. This is a lie of that emotion at that time. You may feel incapable. You may feel insecure. You may feel, but then we want to look at what do I need to do about this? Do I need to learn a skill? Do I need to reach out for help? Uh, And so forth. This is the very reason why so many people that struggle with suicide, suicidal thinking actually commit suicide. When they go to people and say, I want to die. And people say, oh, no, you don't. What are you talking about? You have so much to live for. (laughs) And then the person thinks, well, F me. You know, I mean, like, uh, what's wrong with me that I can't see that? What kind of person is in love and has children and wants to die? See, they really would be better off without me. And this is the lie that comes into their mind about that. But that's how the denial of their emotional experience inflames their emotional experience. But it's so scary for people because they think if I affirm what you're feeling, if I acknowledge what you're feeling, then I'm saying it's right. You're not saying it's right. You're just saying is it just Mm -hmm. is this person wants to die and they're having that feeling in this moment that is telling me that they feel that miserable they Mm -hmm. feel that in that level of intensity and it just is yeah when we acknowledge that and we just say i hear it i hear that Mm -hmm. that must be really really hard yeah and I remember struggling a lot with my own abortion because I was so sad. Like I did mm-hmm. have a lot of sadness. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like something must be wrong because I chose this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I now have done the work and no different, but I I if I chose this, I shouldn't be sad. And it, mm-hmm. that caused that wrecked so much havoc in my brain yeah. until I started going like I'm sad and that's okay. Like, doesn't mean anything's gone wrong. Doesn't mean I did anything wrong. It doesn't, it's just, it, this is a part of the process, right? Right. And so there were many times where I like had to consciously and like very carefully make that shift in my brain. Like mm-hmm. just validate the sadness for what it was, mm-hmm. but also like not make it mean anything about mm-hmm. the bigger picture. Um, yeah. How I would interpret that is, is I tell my clients that if you take a timeline from birth till now, every thought you've ever had, feeling you've ever had experience is on that timeline. So turn it around, connect it. And this is your conveyor belt of life. And it will bring feelings to you and thoughts and it will flow in and it will flow out. And it's just, it's constantly in this motion. And what happens when we're in therapy or when we're dealing with issues like this is it's on our conveyor belt and it may be visiting us frequently. And people think if I process, if I work with on this, it will be done. But then it pops back around and they go, (laughs) I already worked with this. I I dealt with this. Why is it coming around? But it just does. And so what we want to do is not resist it. Like think, oh, this is bad. I haven't done something. I haven't done enough shadow work. I haven't worked, done a therapy, you know, type of mindsets or responses. And we don't want to cling to it of what does this mean about me and ruminate and and so forth. But you just acknowledge it. My grief is visiting me right now. My sadness is coming to me and you acknowledge it. And then you turn the mind into the here and now, which is, you know, where am I right now? Right now I'm in Spokane, Washington. It is Monday morning. You know, you orient yourself with uh, grounding 
and, and looking at, um, you know, just orienting yourself. So this is a practice that we, that's a tool that people find very helpful to be equipped with to manage those things. Because yeah. abortion is one of those things that it just can visit you and pop up at times that you don't expect. And a lot of women who gone through that when they get pregnant later, when they have their children, you never forget. I, I'm going to share with you that I too had an abortion when I was 17. And I, I was raised in a very pro-abortion household. It was very progressive. It was like, mm -hmm. if you get pregnant, that's what you do. It's wise. It's best. It is, um, it's smart. And so when I got pregnant, I happened to be going to a private Christian school and the day of my abortion, they were showing anti-abortion films in my biology class. Wow. And then when I went to get my abortion, it happened to be in the parking lot that I used to go when I was a little girl and visit my cousin's church we would park in that parking lot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, that's weird, you know, but I was still completely convinced in my mind, this was wise, this was best and responsible. And so I had it done. Um, I felt I was supported with my partner um, who completely supported me in a, a wonderful way, actually. Um, and later in life, you know, I was fine. I moved on. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. And then I started to, when I started to get pregnant with my first child, I was overwhelmed with loss and grief about my abortion. Yeah. And I thought, why is this going on? And, and I started to wrestle with the thoughts that I didn't have when I was younger. Yeah. And what one th principle we want to do is we don't want to judge our younger self with our older self mindset. What, how I would think at 27 was very different than how I thought at 17. Yeah. So would I make that decision at 27 versus 17? I, it would be different. And so, and now at 50, you know, I have a different perspective. And so I'm not going to, I have grace. I have a lot of grace for that younger yeah. version of me who made the best decision she could with what she knew. And as I got older, I had different experiences. But the one thing that I do that always strikes me is I count the years, like um, not count it, but if I meet somebody who is the age that my child would have been, yeah. like I always remember the age of my kid, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, it would be this old now, or it would be like this now. And, and I still sometimes have, um, I'm on social media with the person who I was pregnant with and he's still very kind and wonderful. And I think, I wonder if he thinks about this. I, I wonder if he, yeah. does he wrestle with it? And, and then, uh, do I talk to my kids about this? Do I tell them? Yeah. Uh, and you wrestle with these kind of things. And so there's triggers that come up that you don't expect to walk through that. But when I did walk through that, I just, um, I acknowledge, I go through my own process that helps me heal. And I take a position of self-love and self-grace and self-compassion. Yeah. And I just acknowledge whatever comes to mind to me, I acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. And, and it just is, I call that radical acceptance. You're not accepting with, Oh, I'm okay with that. Now, a lot of times people think that they heal, they should be at peace and have resolution. 
Right. Such a misperception. (laughs) Yeah. You might have a type of peace, like a serenity with it, where you're just like, it just is. Yeah. You may have not be, have the kind of peace you imagine. Yeah. Um, so you have that kind of healing process where you just give yourself that support and, and then move forward, move forward Mm -hmm. in life. We got a lot of living to do. We do. And so when people try to put their agenda, like don't feel bad and feel this way, and they may not know that we have many seasons that we're going to go through with the story of the abortion and different feelings at different ages and different memories and triggers. And so when they come up, we need to have a method to manage those moments so that we're not oppressed because there's no function in that. turn our pain into purpose, we can bring it in, we can bring meaning from that experience. Absolutely. And I think we're just always, um, we're always training our brain something, whether we realize it or not. And so when we experience shame in an experience like an abortion, in an event like an abortion, and we push it away or try to ignore it or hide it, we may face shame about something completely unrelated, like a business transaction or um, a, a relationship with a friend. And that shame, like it triggers back to that unprocessed shame in your emo- in your abortion event, right? In that experience. And so I just think that like abortion provides so many opportunities to do healing work that affects everything in your life. And it doesn't matter if it was last month or if it was 30 years ago. And I think there's, there's lots of things in our life (laughs) that we can choose to do the work in, but just to realize that like when you pick anything, whether it's abortion or relationships or parenting, or just pick something and do the work and really process the feelings and start teaching your brain that it's going to be okay, that it's safe, even though it doesn't feel safe, that um, you can do hard things, you can feel hard things, you can grow and get stronger and stand taller and more confident. It, af- it affects everything. And so I just, I think this is such a powerful, like we all have our place, right? That we pick mm-hmm. to, to help people do the work. And, um, and I think particularly for people who maybe experience a lot of shame in other parts of their life, mm-hmm. but haven't made that connection yet to just say like, you know, that actually could be related. There's a good chance that that's related. Like the shame I'm feeling about all these other things in my life, like, maybe has something to do with that unprocessed shame of my reproductive health choices. Mm -hmm. I love what you're saying because what you're describing is that we're going to have many storms in life. We're going to have many events that are going to knock us to our knees that are going to create despair and make us weary and all those things. And we must have an approach to sail through that storm. We're not going to stop the storms. But what we can do is equip ourselves with when I'm facing these things, how do I effectively and masterfully navigate through it? And to do that, we need to have certain mindsets, certain philosophies that help us navigate to understand that pain is inevitable, but suffering 
is optional. We suffer when we resist the pain or when we try to control uncontrollable things. So learning how to release the controlling in areas we can't control, learning how to understand that being human is being human is a flawed experience. You know, we all make mistakes and there's no one um, that's free of that. And if they think they are, they're disillusioned. And so it's, this is a human condition. Everybody has something that they have struggled with. They regret that they are ashamed of and will never speak of type dynamics. So we just have to understand that this is a a difficult journey, but it's also a glorious and wonderful and and incredible journey at the same time. If we move in it in a way that, yes. And so we acquire these skills, which is giving ourselves self-compassion, self-grace, self-love to um, have the non-judgment skills among many, many others. And when we have that and we can apply it to a storm, then we begin to practice utilizing our skills to, so that we are more masterful. So whether the trigger is that I had an abortion, whether the trigger is that I lied or I um, have this weakness or this struggle or, you know, fill in the blank, I will know how to support myself through that, learn from it and become the best version of me, become the best human being I can be to serve this world with my gifts, to make this world a better place. I can turn my pain into purpose, my mess into a message, all those things. And and it makes us better for that experience. It really does. So I actually, my belief is not the same, of course, as many Mm -hmm. women, but like, I, I actually have a relationship with that baby, like in that I lean into her, I talk to her, I thank her, I learn from her still. And my Mm -hmm. abortion was almost three years ago, but like, when I come up against a challenge that reminds me of a challenge in the abortion, like feeling grief, feeling sadness, feeling shame. Um, and I remember my strength from that experience. I'm able to like, thank her, right? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, you gifted me the experience of knowing that I can feel grief and still live a beautiful, happy life afterwards. Right. Yeah. So that for me, and that isn't the case for all women, but for me, like that relationship gets to continue and we get to do that for each other, even though Mm -hmm. she's not here. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're reminding me of, um, like an analogy that I hear a lot of times in my sessions with the clients is with the issue of divorce some people get divorced for reasons that they didn't want a divorce. Yeah. They, um, they have, but they felt they needed to for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And they will say to me, they will have incredible loss and grief, even though perhaps their life is improved for the circumstance or um, other people wanted it to happen. They feel so much loss and grief. And I've had people tell me that they would, they they would receive better support if their spouse had died than to get divorced from an alcoholic husband or something. Mm-hmm. Cause when they mm-hmm. do have loss and grief, people say, why are you upset? You chose that, right? Just like abortion. Yeah. You yes. it, so you should be happy about this choice. Right. Yes. And that they still have loss and grief. So even if somebody is at peace with their choice with an abortion or mm-hmm. they clear about why they made that decision and, and they don't have those types of regrets with it. And yet they still have loss and grief. 
that, but they can't get social support with it like they would if their baby had died. Yes. Like if they so had had true. a stillbirth or if they're, they lost their baby at four months or they lost their baby at three months. Think about those women who say, yeah, I was pregnant, but I lost my baby at two months and, and they get so much emotional support. Mm-hmm. Like their baby is in heaven and, mm-hmm. and, so, and, and they have all these warm reframings of that experience versus a woman who says, I lost my baby to abortion at two months or something. And then people don't respond that way. Right. But yet the woman's still having that. Um, if, if she is not, everybody is like you said, everyone's process is different for some, uh, connecting with the soul of that child. If they believe in a soul and they believe in it being in another realm or something and having that connection with it is very healing for them. For others that could be perhaps very unnerving and make it too real. And they don't, It's kind of like you don't want to name an I know. animal that you're. I, I know this is a horrible analogy, but I love animals so much that at three I became a vegetarian because I didn't want to kill an animal, <laughs> and so I made that my own choice. Yeah, and um, and so I've learned I'm not a I'm a city girl who moved up to Spokane, but in Spokane people do hunting all these things. And, yeah, which wow was hard for me. And they, um, they say, you don't name an animal that you're going to, um, eat. Right. And so it makes it too personal. It makes it too real. It, it personalizes, embodies it, you know, things like that. So for some people who need to objectify or need to have emotional Mm -hmm. distance from something, they can't have that kind of imagery or name because it's too, it's, it's too much for them. So, but, so everyone has their own journey. And we just need to let that be because who are we to tell someone what their journey should be? I'm not God. I'm sorry to say. (laughs) Come on, Sean. (laughs) So I don't know what is the right thing for that person or what they, what they should feel or not feel. I don't know. That is between that person and their Mm -hmm. spirit and whatever belief system they hold that gives them that connection to the universe. And, um, we cannot presume to navigate that for another person. The best thing we can do is help people learn to tune into their inner voice, tune into their inner wisdom and let it inform you and teach you and guide you in life. And then you're better off for that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, we, uh, again, we could talk about this forever. So yes, Yes. This is just the beginning of um of a new year and maybe we will have you back on the show. Maybe I would love that. We'll do part, like, two, part three, yeah. part four. <laughs> I love it. I mean again, like just like I said at the beginning of this episode, it's just it's such a huge topic in general and then really in particular in this in this issue. So yeah, um yes. there's so much to talk about. The good news is that there is healing there is hope and we can create a healing in us that, that creates a life worth living, that creates an, an energy in us to want to move forward, to feel full, full, the fullness of who we are in our own skin and to connect with our future. And so this oppression that shame has put on us does not belong to us. It is not meant for us. And we, we do need to heal and lay it down and rewrite the beliefs we hold about who we are. And, and just 
if we just pretend you have amnesia and say, okay, whatever story I had about myself, like, I'm just going to pretend I woke up this morning and I am going to discover who I am. Because yeah. whatever I think I am, I may not be. So yeah. I'm going to discover who I am and step into the fullness of who I can be. And healing is on that side of things. Yeah. Hope is on that side of things. So whatever someone's story is, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It, we can heal from it. And it, no matter how negative, dark, whatever stigma it is attached to that story, we can lay it down and we can move forward. But we have to start within with our own forgiveness, our own um, just sitting with our feelings and really reframing and looking at how can we be better for this experience. So, yeah. Oh gosh. Now I just have to say one more thing, which is that <laughs> when you get to know your own shame and you learn how to use it and how to process it and how to feel it, you, whether you, whether you do it intentionally or not, you, you literally are just modeling that for somebody else. And so you are, you're just right. holding that space. Like, I did it and you can do it too. Right. Right. That, that works. It's, cool. it's very unnerving. It feels like you're walking around without skin. And yeah. this is part of my philosophy as I've come on a social platform is to really be transparent yeah. and really, really be raw and authentic with my own stories. And I too faced stigmas with my stories that what would people think if I said I struggled with this, would it change my professional reputation? Would people change my, how they see me or the credibility with me? And I had to say, I don't care. Yeah. Yep. I am going to use my story to help somebody else in their story to heal. And yeah. you wrestle with that. Like today oh I had a decide. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I thought, do I share my, my story? Because right. I, and know I didn't actually know you had that story. I mean, I invited you on because of your experience and your expertise and thank you for sharing it. Cause it, yeah. it does make a difference. It really does. You know that that person gets it or they've gone through that and it mm -hmm. gives the level of depth of true intimacy and connection for healing that we can't get if we're always hiding these things. Yeah. If we're hiding them, how yeah. would somebody else come out with them? And I had my abortion after three kids and in a healthy marriage. And for me, I just couldn't, like I, I've said before, and I'll say again, I'm sure if I were just rolling in dough and had enough money to hire in an au pair and take care of four kids, I probably would have done it. I probably wouldn't have even questioned it. Mm -hmm. But I was like the financial and emotional repercussions of adding another, the stress of another child to our family right now is not what I can do. Mm -hmm. And so I had a ton of shame just launching this podcast because I was like, here I am saying I had an abortion because I'm done with the stress, right? Like I couldn't right. add that stress and I want to break that story for my family. And adding another child was not a part of what, a part of that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. And, I, and it is still really scary for me and I do still have that shame I'm working through around it. Yeah. But every time we say it out loud, even if we haven't done all the work, mm -hmm. we invite somebody else. Mm -hmm. And there will be people that will judge our story and, that's and <laughs> who will say like, oh, you did that. Well, now I'm not going to, exactly. Know. And that's, and that's yeah. fine. We yeah. have to, 
we have to not pay attention to that because that is not where our purpose lies. Yeah. That is not where our voice will land. Yeah. That is not where our impact will be made. So we want to still press on with that voice because there is a woman who needs to hear it Absolutely. and it will give her hope and healing and she needs it desperately. And if we are not sharing our stories, it will not reach her. And yes. this is how we are a collective. We are interconnected, arm in arm, woman in woman, supporting each other, uplifting each other, and helping each other's journey be up-leveled and better for our journey. Yes. And if I can share my story to help somebody else heal faster, move faster, bring their purpose to this planet faster, then girlfriend, I am You're in your <laughs> Yes. Yes. That is where the magic lies. Yeah. I mean, I felt that when I, like when I realized that I had this unplanned pregnancy and I thought, you know what, I am strong enough and capable enough and willing. And I have the support system and I have the resources to be able to share my story. And that's not the case for everyone. Not everyone can share their story. So right. for those of us who can, Yes. We do make a difference for the people who it's a lot harder for. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And we want to recognize that there are some unsafe environments. So there a are. great, yeah. a great book I would recommend to your listeners is um, called Safe People by Henry mm -hmm. Cloud. Okay. And I think it's very important for us to identify the characteristics of a safe person or mm -hmm. an unsafe person. Um, in the future, I hope to incorporate that in the books that I'm writing right now. But if you, if somebody was to see the ebook that I, I put out, um, they could see the description of the shame bound versus shame free. And that is a way shame bound would be un, unsafe. Yeah. Shame free would be safe. Nice. So you can look at it that way of how, what experiences would I have from someone that would help me know that they're a safe person that will enhance my journey and help me be the best version of me, uh, I need to be able to recognize those people. So just coming out with your story and just, yes. you know, putting it out there, it may not be in someone's best. Yeah, it may not be in the highest good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. For how, where they are, but that's part of the journey. It may mean that they need to change their communities and yeah. build a new tribe. Right. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, even the ice hitting my window is telling <laughs> that it's time to go. <laughs> Can you yes. hear it? It's no, against my window. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited thank that um, our listeners get to hear this conversation. Yes, me we'll too. Thank you soon. for having me. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And as always, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. It helps me reach a wider audience and invites more people to thrive after abortion. If you're someone who chose abortion and find yourself struggling, hiding, or wishing you could move beyond your experience, head over to my website and book a free call. We'll talk about how you can start living the life you made your choice for.